At the beginning of 1955, the formation of an old collegians football club at De La Salle simply seemed like a good idea. The brainchild of Jim Hawkins, an old collegians association committee member, just happened to engage the imagination and energies of a group of men and women of real enthusiasm, talent and drive. Adding to that was the fact that the VAFA just happened to be seeking expansion and was welcoming new clubs joining the competition with the club's application to enter a team in the VAFA's E-section swiftly accepted. An E-section premiership in their debut year, they flew up the grades and competed in A-section for the first time in 1961. They are one of a handful of clubs to never drop below B-grade since then. Eleven senior flags are housed proudly at the Dairy Bell, with the most famous pennant being the first A-section triumph in 1977. The inaugural members that Jim Hawkins initially engaged have since handed down their wisdom to those charged with leading the club in the modern day. And they do so with great pride and distinction, one eye locked back on the past, while the other firmly planted into the future to make this club a powerhouse once again. Hello everyone and welcome to the Club in Focus podcast. My name's Joe Pignataro and very much looking forward to delving into all things De La Salle Old Collegians Footy Club and to help me do it all across the next hour or so is the voice, the face and through Zoom he still is the best looking man in the ammos, that's what his name says and it's not Brian Waldron. He's our very, very special guest. We'll tell you a bit about him in a sec. It's uh, Mr. Nick Armistead. Uh, hello, Nico. Hello, Joseph. Very, very excited to be doing it this week, not just to learn about De La Salle and to go more in-depth with them, but to go more in-depth with the man who we sit beside every single week of the VAFA season and listen to his garbage every <laughs> single week of the season. We're going to finally get some insight into what made him the man he is today. It's going to be very exciting. You're talking about Brian Waldron, former president of the club. He's a legend of De La Salle, so he tells us. He's number 83, Nico. In the life members, I think it was a self-inducted life membership. The club's <laughs> trying to pull it back off him at the moment. Uh, hello, Brian. He's just stupid, you boy. <laughs> Seriously, just silly, you boy. Brian, we You're haven't seen really you silly. for six months, and that's the first thing you're going to say. Well, are we getting seen here or are we just chatting? It's we're just for us to see uh, each other. Nick hasn't changed. He just got in from another night out. The bender. <laughs> Joey, you're just doing your best work at the end of the day, as always. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I'm just sitting here after a walk with the dog and just uh, about to enjoy chatting to some wonderful DLR people. We... A nice thing to do as a um, as a member of the club. It's good. We, cert- to it. we certainly are, Brian. We've got a host of names that have come through. We're going to chat to yourself very shortly about your time with De La Salle. Barry Lyons, who is possibly the greatest De La Salle person that has ever lived. Uh, he's done just about everything that you can do. Bernard Dunn's going to join us. And uh, David Lowe, as well as that, we're going to chat to the current president who uh, took over from yourself, Brian, Matty O'Callaghan. But uh, Nico, as we have done uh, the last uh, few months through these Club in Focus podcasts, all thanks to Mequicare, we go back to the start, and De La Salle formed back in 1955. I'd say that's a couple of years before Brian entered the earth. Is it Jim <laughs> Hawkins, Brian? Is he your man? 
who credited with yeah, starting your club? Yeah, no, he wasn't. And Barry Lyons is certainly the best one to talk about um, how it all began. But the other, another well-known name is O'Callaghan. So Matthew's father, Tony O'Callaghan, and his mother Mary were heavily involved uh, in those days. And another great dealer man in John Dillon, of course, uh, Andrew Dillon's father. But um, John, great dealer man, and uh, put his boys through Xavier and uh, was always a dealer dealer man, but um, supported Xavier and was. Uh, torn for years when we had arch rivalry with that team. So Barry will talk, take us through the history of why we existed. It's something I often, in my time as president, I often refer back to in our chats at lunches that we so badly miss these days was hmm. the reason for being. Uh, but we'll, we'll leave that to Barry to talk to, which is important to do. So, Nico, back in 1955, according to the history books of the D. LaSalle Footy Club, uh, written by Michael Ashford, author of Pride and Premierships, it was around that time that the VAFA just happened to be seeking to expand, and one of those prospective new clubs became D. LaSalle back then. But through your own research, what have you come across when they entered the competition in E-grade back in 1955? Well, I do like to see that they came in with a couple of other clubs that are still thriving today in the Vaffery in Old Kerry and Old Geelong Grammarian. So they were the three clubs. Old Trinity also came in in 1955, but they'd come back. They'd already been in the Vaffer prior to that. But I was doing my little research through the For Love of the Game Centenary book, and it took DLA 22 years before they won their first A-grade flag. And a lot of people who you speak to say it was down largely to one, to one man who was in charge at the time in terms of Bernie Sheehy. And just written down in this book, as well as other factors that are already mentioned, a key element in the club's success was the acquisition in 1975 of Bernie as coach of their senior team. Bernie had been a fairly ordinary player, so he doesn't hold back there. Bernie had been a fairly ordinary player, much like Brian Waldron, uh, but he played for North Old Boys and coach of the club of that reserve grade team at North Old Boys. But it was at De La Salle, his real talents soon emerged. He immediately struck up close rapport with his players and even more significantly, and this is what I really want to get into, introduced to the amateurs the handballing game, which Ron Barassi was pioneering so successfully with VFL club Carlton. It took other amateur clubs a few years to catch up with that style of play that he introduced to De La Salle before he finally left to go and be an assistant coach to Kevin Cheedy at Essendon. So I just think it's absolutely wonderful. We've seen what Ron Barassi has done at AFL level, which is clearly quite incredible that Bernie Shee introduced that same gameplay into the amateurs. It was so successful. So, Brian, uh, the Sheehy attitude, does that still go on today? He's got the hunger to succeed and the hatred of losing. Is that what you instill in every coach that comes through your footy club? Yeah, I miss Bernie insofar as I didn't play under him, but certainly uh, his disciples were um, were seen over the generation. When, I, when you went to Delay, you knew how Delay played. And how you need to play, we played there. So, you know, we played the running handball game, but it was a, it was a very committed game. And so we got really fit. We played a, a run and spread game, run and carry from the back half. We never stopped. And Bernie Dunn's motto was, you know, you're better off getting beaten 18 goals to, to 16 than you are getting beaten 10 goals to eight. And that that carried through for generations. And uh, certainly Bernie Shee um, had that model. And it didn't stop. John Pollard coached premierships that way. Uh, the game's changed now, but even you get people coming down to Derryville now, they talk about watching their life play. Probably born about as much as anybody by the fact we're a very small team traditionally. We always had a team of midgets that ran hard. I mean, the 2009 grand final was on the other night, boys. We uh, saw that replay back. And if you watch that game back, which I think they lost by three points, there's no way known they should have been anywhere within a bull's roar as Xavier because it was a men against the boys. But 
the fact they were committed to that running type of game, coached by Dave Madigan, who's the other senior coach again, got us back in the game. So there was faith in it. Um, it doesn't necessarily exist today, but footy's changed. But you do know if you play delay, you come off tired. That's something we've always prided ourselves on for years, I think. Uh, so, Nico, throughout this podcast, as we have done with uh, all of them, we want to know what you want to learn uh, before we get stuck into it. Well, I want to learn why they took Ryan Waldron in the first place outside <laughs> of Delar Sala. I thought, yeah, stupid, you I thought they would have had enough of him, but mainly... <laughs> they took me because I went to the school. Back in 1977, when they won that first A-grade flag, I read a line that in the dying moments, it was Alan Groves, who is in their team, greatest team ever, team of the 60 years, he took a screamer and gold late in the game to give them a win over North All Boys. So I wanted to, I really want to talk to Barry Lyons and get his memories on that particular moment. Well, he's going to join us very shortly. I'm looking forward to delving into these rivalries. Now, I'm told they had a fierce one with Ormond, but Brian did just mention uh, a rivalry with old Zavs. I think well, it was only a few years ago, Brian, you played a Saturday night game out at Turak Park for uh, mm. something different that maybe off-field... <laughs> a few people in the crowd might have got a bit. Uh... I think there was a game. There was a game played. I don't know. If it was two thousand and twelve. I think it was around. There might have been two thousand and nine, when both sides were undefeated playing at Dairy Bell on a Saturday afternoon. And it was. I think Zav's one. It might have been Della's first loss for the year. But they talk about the people that turned up. An amazing number of people that just came to watch the two top amateur sides of that day. But we're talking thousands. I remember being there. I remember walking around seeing Tommy Apey there, for example, who hadn't been but had heard about the, this game that was going to take place. So that, that was a wonderful rivalry. I mean, the other thing that isn't remembered but is known by those that were involved, we had an unbelievable rivalry with Ormond. And even to this day, as a D-Light person, I still have funny feelings about Ormond because Ormond had the McDonald boys who were D-Light boys and had the Hill boys who were D-Light boys. And when I say D-Light boys, they went to the school. So they had these really talented players. I mean, the three McDonald boys um, all played state footy. One was ruck, one was centre back, one was centre forward, and they all played in these premiership losses against us. So they had the Hill boys who were hard and tough, and we used to have genuine wars against Ormond. The Dela Ormond games, whether at our ground or at that horrendous ground down at Gun Reserve, surrounded by the metal fence. If you didn't get pushed in the metal fence one day, you, your fitting hadn't played there. It was just brutal. And the Merton boys led the way down there too. So uh, it was a fascinating uh, time through the 80s. And there's been great rivalry with North Old Boys, as we know. Um, Bruno Conti, you know, he led the way there. So we've had some wonderful times in latter years with Collegian. So they're all things we'll touch in the next um, whatever hour it is and talk to these great DLR people who can talk about it. Coming up right now to kick us all off is arguably the greatest DLR cell person of all, Barry Lyons. This is the Club in Focus podcast. We're taking a look at all things DLA Sale. You're with Nick Armistead, Brian Waldron, and Joe Pignatara. And our first guest this week uh, wandered down in 1967 to DLA Sale and played 227 games. He's a club legend. He's won premierships. He's done all that you could possibly do at the DLA Sale Footy Club. His name is Barry Lyons, and he joins us now. Hello, Barry. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. A little bit earlier on, we, we spoke about the fact that the club was formed in 1955 and a few years later you came down and played your first game, which then culminated in 
plus games. You're part of the uh, team of the 60 years in the full back line. Take us back when it first all started. How did you end up down at De La Salle? Uh, well, I, I finished school in 66 and um, I had played um, a couple of games the previous year with St Kilda Reserves, and, uh, but unfortunately I couldn't get back there the, 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 uh, the following year and Sid Costello approached me about playing at the uh, at De La Salle uh, with the old boys. My brother was already playing there, so it was a pretty easy decision um, to um, to come to come to De La and play there. And when you got down there, did it just instantly feel like home? Oh yeah, look, they, they made you very welcome. You know, it was, the club was quite. You know, it was a, a first and a reserves team in those days, and so there wasn't big numbers, but so it was very easy, easy to uh, get to know everyone, and they were very welcoming and very social. So it was uh, a great decision to, to, to join the club. Baz, we'll have some people, hopefully the young ones listening to this as well. How did it all start? I know you weren't involved, but how did it all start? Well, I believe, um, from my recollection of the history of it, of DLAR, um, Jim Hawkins and Tony O'Callaghan and a couple of others of that ilk had been playing elsewhere and uh, they decided to uh, create a, a De La Salle team. So in 1955, they uh, they played their first season um, in, I think it was E-grade in those days, and uh, it went from there. They only had a senior team in the first year. Well, there's a number of them that have gone to God uh, from that team, but there's still um, a, a number of those players that are associated with the club. So it was from 55 E-grade, and then I quickly went through the grades. Barry, obviously and, uh, across 13, 14 years, um, you've played with a lot of great players over the years, and I just want to go through a couple. Looking at your team of the last 60 years, you had Brian Burke, Richie Halassa, Timmy Cook, Shane Murphy, Ralph McHenry, Michael Green. I mean, what are your memories of these players, I suppose, and some of the ones that really stand out to you, some of your teammates? Murph and uh, and Greeny, uh, uh, well, Greeny had started when I was just finishing, um, and he was a very good player, pretty early days. Um, Mick and his brother Paul, who who came down as well, uh, they were both excellent players. They really came to the fore in the early eighties, and Murph joined us uh, in those early times. But uh, probably the best of the players, uh, Berkey certainly is up there. Um, you know, one of the best players I played with. Mick Deverson actually played his first senior game when I played my last senior game. So he was a, another great, great player through that uh, 80s, early 80s period. And uh, but I, I didn't get to play with him. Uh, Henry Alassa was he was a terrific player as well. Alan Groves, um, Bernie Dunn, um, very good players. Uh, Pat Maher, uh, but th- they were part of the sort of successful period through that uh, late second half of the 70s. Now, you've just said Alan Groves, and before we go into that 1977 A-grade premiership, the club's first, I just want to ask you about one particular moment. I mentioned at the start of the podcast, it's the one thing I want to find out. It's written down in the For Love of the Game centenary book that Alan Groves took a screamer and kicked the winning goal just moments before you guys defeated North All Boys by three points. And I just want to see if you have any memory or what's your recollection of that particular moment. Wow, we, we, we had actually, we sort of, I think it was a kick 9.23 and we missed in the last quarter, um, uh, you know, goals from very, uh, from not very far out. And uh, Michael Nugent, who went on to play at Richmond uh, the following, you know, a couple of years later, uh, missed some, uh, missed a goal from, I think, the goal square. And he was a terrific player. And then the ball was kicked off and uh, Groves, he marked it uh, a long way out. And, uh, 
he just went back and um, kicked the ball a mile. And as he's told me subsequently, I didn't know it you know, for some years later, he really wasn't kicking, for, aiming for goal. He was aiming for the top of the square. <laughs> and it went through it about goalpost high. So it was just an unbelievable kick. But he was a beautiful kick of the ball and had, had tremendous skills. But... Um, Look, I think we were due for a bit of luck, um, and I think that might have been uh, that might have used used some of it up. Baz, let's go back to um, how that came about, because obviously the recruitment of Bernie she was central to it. Were you involved in that? Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. Kevin Power had been playing at North Old Boys at the time, and he he uh, suggested to me, uh, I knew Kevin through uh, uni, and he suggested to me very strongly that we should contact Bernie, that he was a rather unorthodox per- coach uh, but um, and person. We did contact him. We had a lot of trouble in getting to actually apply for the job, not because he didn't want to. It was just he was finishing off his exams. <laughs> but uh, when he, he we did interview him, uh, he was a standout. And he was a terrific addition in 1970. He joined in 75. And it was a turning point in the club's um, club's history. Barry, what was it like what, what, playing under him? The she-he effect or the she-he attitude of quick handballs, yeah, fast I, pace, enjoy the game? Yeah, look, I, I had never heard about a game style before he arrived. And, and I, I think I probably learned more in the first 12 months under him than I did in the previous eight or nine years. And I'm not trying to trying to put the coaches down that we had previously to something they were quite they were good. Bernie was just in a league of his own. He was fanatical about it too. He he changed the attitude at De La Salle as well as the, uh, introducing a style. He he turned us in from uh, turned us into a from a very good social football club into a very good social and football club. He he just added that extra hardness to the side which was uh, which was needed to be successful. He didn't like getting beaten and I remember one one time Henry Alassad was driving me home and we'd won the game, but we'd lost pretty ba- lost the last quarter fairly badly against Coburg. And, and Henry said to me, remember when we were just happy to have have a win? And um, Bernie had ripped into us after the game about how we played, you know, how we'd let the game slip so badly in the last quarter. But that was a completely different attitude that he brought to the place. Baz, let's move on to the, to the um, what people talk about, the golden era, which obviously you were heavily involved in again. Um, yes, what yes. was it about us? And I know the game's changed in, I want to say the game the competition's changed now where we have a lot of private schools. But I mentioned before I came to the club in 81 and was already well cemented then that there was this fierce rivalry with North Old Boys, with Ormond, um, Uni Blues, of course. What yeah. was it about us, Baz, that made us successful? And I know we, I know I must say in saying this, I know at that time, Baz was the man behind the scenes that did the recruiting, set up the relationship that got us players like Mick Deverson from Salesian. But what? how did you go about it and what was it, Barry, that made us so successful for that? Well, I think we had very good players. Uh, we did get a, a good, very good players and we held on to them. And we, look, we had a bit of luck with our recruiting. You know, Ben Eddy arrived from Geelong. You know, he was an excellent player. And we had Michael Nugent and Paul Beto. Uh, came out of our under-19s and both, you know, Michael went on to play for, with Richmond. Things fell into place from a recruiting side, but Bernie uh, uh, and I wait, you know, left no stone unturned, chasing players, players like Peter McDonald, who came down from Hawthorne YCW, and Slats, uh, who came from there as well. So look, we, we worked very hard on that side, and I think we were very well coached, and, and look, the culture was very good as well. And look, I think we're a little bit ahead of our time in terms of, 
the amount of effort that we put into it. Um, I think those, you know, when you compare it to today, I think you know all the clubs have, you know, uh, put that level of effort into into it. Um, but we were just a um, ahead of our time. All right, I want to ask you about one of your grand finals and what, probably one of your favourite ones. I'm looking here and you were captain for seven years from 72 to 78. During this golden era, you captained flags in 75 and 77 before going on to also win in 79. Does one of those those grand finals, do one of those premierships stand out to you as being maybe one of your favourites? You've been lucky to play yeah. in 79, weren't you, Baz? I oh, just hang on. They got rid of me pretty quickly <laughs> after that. <laughs> but I think they were good enough that they could have held on to me for another year uh, and yeah. parked me in the, in the back pocket. But by the time halfway through 79, uh, through 80, I, I retired. But look, uh, 77 was, a, was, a, was the, um, you know, the absolute pinnacle of, of my career. And to win your first A-grade premiership, and you've got to, I mean, I've been there since 67. Um, Never dreamed of winning an A grade premiership. You know, we were always and also ran in, you know, made up the numbers in B grade, and to suddenly be a premier in A grade was just um, just beyond belief. And I remember driving to the game, and and not North were red hot favourites, and thinking, oh, you know, if we won this today, it'd be terrific. But you know, we did, and it was just, um, you know, uh, that that was the top my career off. It was terrific. I, uh, you know, our first B grade premiership was terrific, and. Certainly, I was pretty happy to be part of the 79, but I certainly didn't contribute a lot to 79. <laughs> one thing one thing not known, boys, and I'm into this, because I mean, we talk about the connection with AFL. Lions, you actually ended up in Sydney as CEO of the Sydney Swans, which which is not known to a lot of people. How did you end up there, Baz? Oh, look, I knew um, I knew a guy at the VFL in those days, a guy called John Hennessy, who was their, um, who was their um, planner, you know, strategic planner, and... Um, he he told me that uh, there was a job at the Swans as the commercial manager, and um, Brian Dixon had just taken over, and they were moving to Sydney in um, eighty two, eighty three, and it was at the end of eighty two. And um, so I rang Brian up and I said, "Look, I understand you're looking for someone," and went down and saw him, and he he gave me the job. And um, so I moved to Sydney, and um, and he he departed the departed the club three months, three or four months later. And uh, so, you know, the um, I was appointed to the, the general manager's job for the remainder of that year and the following year. In '82, they flew in. '83, two thirds of the senior players all, uh, lived in Sydney, and a third lived down here. It was fairly disjointed uh, when I look at how uh, serious they are about the whole thing these days. Um, but we did terrifically well under under um, pretty trying circumstances. Um, but um, yeah, look, it was a great. You know, I, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, and I made some friends out of that for life. And it was just a terrific time. Baz, one last question i got. We, I, I often sort of counsel as many of the um, people that have sat in the chair of president have done. I remember asking you one day why we existed. And, and your whole thing to me, and it's always been something, I've said this to Matty O'Callaghan, you know, we existed as an extension of the school, but we wanted to be a, a place people came to and they were better for the experience of being involved with DLAR. And that's always been the case, hasn't it, Barry? Yeah. No. Look, I agree with Brian. Look, I think it's. I think we you know, we all get a bit focused on the Saturday, and I'm, no one's more focused on the results on the Saturday than I am. But we, we we've got to be there for more than that. You know? And and a, mm. a number of times, I remember parents thanked me for their for their you know for getting their uh, sons down to 
to to uh, DLAR and uh, they said, look, it just helped them through. Because when you leave school, you, you go through some pretty challenging times. You're probably everyone the same. They need a bit of stability in their life. And, and I think I think it's important that places like uh, DLARCEL, and I'm sure most of all, all the other amateur clubs are very similar, that provide a good environment for for young people to grow up in and, and, and when they wander off the path as they inevitably do someone pulls their coat and pulls them back into line but mm-hmm. um, we're more than just a footy club uh, we've got to be a community and uh, it's important that people leave the place better than they were when they arrived Barry last one as we let you go and on that sentiment you're full back in the De La Salle 60th anniversary best team ever you're the captain you're also the president uh, in the off-field department on this uh, current team of the 60 years that I'm looking at. Of the three <laughs> positions you hold in the one team, which one are you most proud of? Oh, no, no, look, the full-back role was, was, <laughs> was so much better playing. You know, playing is uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I've I got great joy out of, out of the administrative side, but... Um, okay, gee, Bass, so much you're lucky to keep that position ahead of me. Very <laughs> lucky, Barry. <laughs> hey, hey, thank God, thank God, Tommy Humphrey, they've moved him out to centre-half back. I think I'll be out of the <laughs> he team. Taken it. <laughs> I, I think I'll be out of the team. I, I, I've spoken to the selectors and got him moved out to the half-back line so that we, we can put him there. Uh, <laughs> but he's a much better player than I was, so... Uh, <laughs> but uh, hopefully they won't. The selectors won't see it that way when they look at the seventieth too. And we'll see how we go, Barry. Congratulations on all you've achieved with the De La Salle Footy Club. Hopefully we do have some footy back, and you're down at the Dairy Bell on Saturday afternoons again, cheering you boys on. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, boys. Well, how good to hear from Barry Lyons. He's done just about all you can do at the De La Salle Footy Club, and we move straight into our very next guest. Uh, we're told he is the last man to coach De La Salle to an A-grade premiership. I'm talking about Bernard Dunn, and he joins us on the line. Hello, Bernard. Yeah, how are you going, Jim? Yeah, oh. Great to be with you. Bernard, I'm going very well. I've got Nick Armistead and Brian Waldron here with me. I was about to go into yeah. a long spiel about all you've achieved, but Brian said uh, you know it off by heart, so we might as well get <laughs> your good self to just take us through your career with the De La Salle Footy Club. Take us back to where it all started for you, Bernie. Yes, well, I, I went there straight from school uh, in 1970. Also, 1971 was my first year there. And, uh, look, we were, um, we'd been in A grade, and but we were back in B grade. Oh, sorry, the first year was in A grade, but we got relegated that year. And the next two or three years were in, in B grade. We just sort of um, were, on, were close, but not close enough. And then, of course, Bernie came, Bernie Shee came to the club in 75. And that five-year period that he was there was extremely successful. I mean, interestingly enough, I mean, I barely played in a winning team in the first five years I was there, and I barely played in a losing team in the last seven. So it was a sort of amazing turnaround um, from that point of view. So I ended up playing nearly 200 games over a 12-year period, and then I finished in 82, and I came back seven years later to coach them. So... Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still around the place a little bit these days, so it's been a it's been a uh, a long time. And the memories of the first A grade flag, pretty amazing. Yeah, look, it was amazing. I mean, even to win the '75 flag was we all thought was pretty amazing um, to actually play our premiership team. But then to realise within two years that we were good enough to maybe to win an A grade flag. I mean, although that year '77 North were very good, I think. They won 17 of their 18 games and only lost the last game of the season by a point 
Optus and Bernard. So they were pretty formidable opposition. They'd beaten us twice during the season and beat us pretty comfortably in the second semis. Look, we sort of had it all, took it all before us. We were very lucky in some respects. You know, like in those games that won by three points, it could go either way. And uh, look, yeah, you need a lot of luck for those things to happen. And um, and for Delo's first A-grade premiership with Bernie, Barry was captain, Barry Lyons. And uh, yeah, look, uh, they were great times. I mean, it's interesting how those things are often tinged with a bit of sadness. I mean, I, I mean, just tell you this, I think it's an interesting point of history. In the late 60s, one of our players was involved in a car accident and killed. And his father was so taken by the response from the club that uh, he got a bit involved and he ended up being president. His name was Sid Gostello. His son hadn't been to DLRSL, but had just wandered in off the street virtually. Well, Sid became like an absolute driven man about DLRSL winning an A-grade flag. And he was there for 11 years, about five or six of them as president. And he had a heart attack on the Saturday night before the grand final and passed away. So he, he didn't see our first A-grade premiership, which was a very... So I remember getting to the ground on that Sunday morning to be told that, you know, Sid had passed away overnight. It was just... And, and Bernie, didn't Bernie but, Shee's dad pass away as well in similar circumstances? Yes, well, Bernie's dad passed away two years later in 1979 during the second semi. Halfway through the second quarter, we saw the ambulances come into the ground and we thought, oh, obviously, a spectator's collapsed. But uh, they worked on him for about half an hour. Joe Doolan, Father Joe, was playing for us. He ran off the ground during the third quarter, went and got his um, uh, sacraments and ran around the boundary because we were looking, what's going on? Barry yeah. Lyons addressed the, crowd, addressed the group at three-quarter time. He told us that Bernie's father had passed away. Anyway, you know, the Blues beat us pretty easily. And I must say, I mean, it brings a tear to eye now. It's one of the most emotional after matches I've ever been to. I mean, Bernie was crying and he was trying to talk to the crowd, to the playing group about, you know, his dad and how much coming to DLR each week meant to him. And um, anyway, look, we, we bounced back and we won the next week. Yeah. And Beat the Blues in the grand finals. Let's talk about your coaching career, Byrne. So, did you coach straight after leaving Dula? You, you cracked up, didn't you? And went to Uni Blacks for a year and played something stupid well, like did. that, didn't you? Is that what happened? Look, I was struggling a bit just as a player. This is 1981. And um, yeah. John Pollard was coaching the Blacks. I was very friendly with Ross Booth. And Booth, he said to me, Look, would you be interested in coming across as assistant coach? So, I thought, look, it was a good opportunity. I was teaching out at um, Broadmeadows. Mm. Solid trip for me to come back to training all the time. The union was halfway. So it was sort of an ideal situation for me, really. So I went and had a year at the Blacks as assistant coach. I played about 10 games. I injured my back during the cricket season leading into that year. So I missed about the first six or eight games. And we beat DLR at DLR, even though we got relegated that year. So, um, I dare say that, that would have been really... a little bit of chirpiness from you, Burn, at that game, a little bit of mouthing <laughs> off. Well, it was a little bit because, I mean, I felt very nervous going back there. I remember going back there <laughs> to play. And, uh, of course, Lion and a few of the boys were giving me a fair bit of shit, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, look, it, it all turned out well. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that year with John, John Pollard, who then came back and coached Delay to a flag yeah. himself in, in 84. So it was... Uh, and other interesting days, and John sort of had some slightly 
different ideas, which um, yeah, we, which I subsequently used myself. So it was um, yeah, that no, was a good time. So Bernie, Brian just asked you about coaching. Let's fast forward quickly to 1991. Almost like you come full circle. In uh, 77, you get your first A grade flag against North Old Boys by less than a kick. And as it stands at the moment, your last A grade flag was by a uh, less than a kick against North Old Boys. Take us to that day and what your recollections are of. 1991. It was a very similar situation, really, because North were very good. I think they won 15 or 16 games, and I think we won we about 12 or 13. The interesting part about that was was that they'd beaten us very convincingly during the year. We were about three or four goals down at three-quarter time in the second semi, kicking with a pretty strong win. I don't know what happened, but we kicked 11 goals in the last quarter, and... Um, Beat them by four or five. They were pretty shocked, I think, and so were we. <laughs> the grand final is an even worse story. North came back the next week and kicked a record score, which I think still stands in that prelim against Scotch. They beat them like about 120 points. Anyway, so grand final day, um, we bounced out of the blocks. Pat Manick, our full forward, had a magnificent first half. He kicked three goals and had a hand in a couple of others, and we led by 58 points at half time. Now we're thinking to ourselves almost, what do we do? Like, we, we can't tell the players the game's over, but we also can't tell them it's back to the walls or back to the walls. So, I mean, it was a difficult time. I, I felt we were tiring because it was reasonably heavy conditions, and they were a very good team. So, I mean, while it sounds stupid to say 58 points up at half time, I, I didn't think the game was over. And um, even though I had jokingly said something which I regretted during that second quarter. But um, so anyway, they come out and run all over us in the third quarter. And they kick, I reckon, six or seven goals to one. So all of a sudden, they're only three or four behind. Um, They storm home. And we kick a goal early in the last quarter. We just hung on for grim death. I had about three or four opportunities to score in the dying moments and they just couldn't get the ball through the goals and we hung on to one by three points. So I often thought, Nick, that I went from being, you know, the best coach in the comp at half time to really the worst coach in the comp <laughs> by the end of the game. I mean, if we'd have lost that game, I don't think I could ever have coached again. <laughs> just how do you tell people you've lost? The game after being 58 points up at half time. Listen, Ben, you skipped over something which was pretty important. You said you said something that you regretted later on. You better just tell us what you said because it was said to Mark Parker and Tim Cook were your faithful assistants at the time. What happened? Late in the second quarter, we were it was 10 goals to none. I said to Cook, you know, has there ever been a game where the grand final where a team hasn't scored a goal. <laughs> and Cookie said to me, mate, I think you're getting ahead of yourself. Just focus on the game, with you? you know? <laughs> Which I thought, oh, that was a very silly thing to say. <laughs> anyway, I live to regret saying that, I must admit, as I, as I was storming home to, to nearly win it, I'm thinking, shit, so much for that little now comment you, of mine. Now you, now, you won that one, but there's a couple of others that, well, certainly yes. one we should have we should have won. Yeah, two others. Look, the next two years. Look, we just didn't play well enough on on the grand final. We 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 had terrific seasons. Look, collegians were very good. They had four or five 
ex-league players. But look, we'd beaten them. There was no reason why we couldn't have, you know, been competitive. Look, they were both days that didn't suit us without sort of making excuses. They were heavy and and, and collegians were probably stronger bodies. I think we went too far um, with the running and handball. Um, we probably didn't focus enough on, you know, being able to play in both conditions, particularly in amateur football. Now, we were having 170 and 180 handballs a game. Well, you probably had to win them with 120 if I look back on it now. Um, and I think it possibly cost us those grand finals. Now, Bernie, you're a regular face and a regular voice at the annual Big V Club luncheon, irrespective of whether a De La Salle player is being inducted or not. You tend to know quite a few of them, but... It's been quite good over the last couple of years. You've had both Brian Burke and Mick Deverson in 2016 and 2018 inducted as champions. And I remember you saying during Mick Deverson's video, during that interview interview where you called him the human wall, you said he was in the best two to three ever players at De La Salle. I just want to know who would be the other one or two from your perspective. To me, there's probably five that come readily to mind. I certainly have um, Brian Burke. Mick Deverson and Richie Alassa. So I played with Richie, so I watched him. He won three BNS during those premiership years. Brian was also very good during that period and played on. And Devo was a tiny bit later than me. Mick Green, uh, I think, was uh, a super player. And, and another fellow who probably didn't get as much recognition during our time was a fellow, Peter McDonald. Macca was in all those premiership teams under Bernie. And he was an undersized centre-half back who was incredibly courageous. I'd have those five for me. And there are a lot of others, you know, kicking around on the edges. I mean, uh, you know, I look at Pat Maher, played in five premiership teams. Ralph McHenry, I think, in four. Uh, and they were all, they were Mick Nugent, who sadly, you know, um, was struck down with a knee injury. I mean, they were then Andrew Ronke in my team. Uh, Brett Marnie in my team were all... Magnificent play. Brian Burke gave the best on-field sprays that you've seen from a teammate. Do you stand by that? Uh, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> so Burke could get very angry at anybody. And that included the opposition, the umpire, or his teammate. <laughs> and he ran through several Zula Cell plays in his time. And his theory was, mate, if you don't see me coming, then that's your problem. And he, he went like a tank, you know. And, uh, oh, he was a... Like that broken jaw he got in the prelim final, I think, in 79. That was just him going so hard. He ran into someone, I think, his neck jaw on their head and broke his jaw, you know. I mean, that was sort of the intensity that, that he played with. I mean, he went on to captain the state side and he was, yeah, he was a very good player. But, I mean... Richie was different. Yeah, you know, Richie was on a half-back flank and he could dance around people. He was quick. Lovely player, Richie. Lovely beautiful player. mark, beautiful kick. You know, so you look at them, it's always, isn't it, very hard to sort of match up as to, if you had, if you could only have one of them, which one would you have sort of thing? But, um, no, we were very lucky to have that incredible run of good players through that whole from 75, virtually to 86, that 11 or 12 years, 
but we had an amazingly good team. Well, Bernard, we appreciate you joining us on the Club in Focus podcast. Take care of yourself, and uh, hopefully we get some footy back and we see you down at the Dairy Bell in the not-too-distant future. Thanks for joining us. No, I look forward to it. Thanks, gentlemen. That was great. So great to chat with Bernard Dunn, the last A-grade premiership coach of your footy club, Brian. He's, uh, interestingly enough, number 32 on your life members list. This stands out. Jim Hawkins, the man who found the club, isn't number one. He's 12th on your list. Your first ever life member, Reverend Brother Stanislas Carmody. He was probably principal at the school. Every chance. And then at number 83 on the life members (laughs) list, self-proclaimed life member is Brian Waldron. How did you end up? How did you end up here, Brian? You're the last one. Where's the 2019 members? No, no, no. no, We had two last year. We had uh, Wayne McDonald's uh, life member since then and Bill Tyson. What do you want to know? It's a fantastic list. In all seriousness, actually, I do want to chat to you in seriousness about the fact that you... I wasn't present when there was a life membership. I've done many things, but I didn't make myself (laughs) a life member. No. I do want to spend a couple of minutes... I I do want to spend a couple of minutes being serious with yourself for a moment because... You did come yeah. back to your footy yeah. club uh, a few years ago. For those who aren't aware, what are the reasons why you did come back to DLSL? Because I love it. I played in the I came out of school in 81 and played. Um, I actually had a very good on the 19 year and then started this year in the seniors, but I was terrible. I was horrendous. And I, <laughs> I wasn't any good until I, I think I won. I was looking back the other day, I think I won the most improved. I don't know how this happened in the seniors in 1980. 1986, and I would have been 23. Right. Which is quite extraordinary to do that. <laughs> and then I did my knee the year after, and I was never the same. So I came back in 89 for Bernie to play, um, to give some bit of experience and stability when, when we went to B grade. Yep. And I did my other knee in the second semi. So I didn't play, uh, so I missed out again. But I wasn't um, I wasn't a great player. If, I, if you would have asked me why I ended up... Um, being a life member, it's because what I've did off field. But then I then I got involved in AFL, of course, and in yep. NRL. So I basically disappeared from the club. And then back in 2010, when my life became a little bit awkward, I got a phone call after the the blow up of the Melbourne Storm days from Barry Lyons and said, "What are you doing?" And I was probably hiding under the bed. <laughs> and he said, "Mate, come down the footy club." And I remember going down the footy club with my little fella and standing at Dula, and I felt at home. And I they you know the one thing about. Uh, Bernie Shee said it to me. I remember being at Richmond. I would have been at Richmond nearly 19, uh, probably 96, 97. I thought I was pretty important. Two things I'll tell you about this, you'll like this. One is that Bernie Shee, I remember saying, he, I think he was at Springvale and I was at Richmond. And I remember saying, you know, what's the best footy you've been involved with? And he said, I am at a footy by a mile. And Bernie had been at Fitzroy, Essendon, Zula and Springvale. And he said, mate, this place is just, this gets you real. And he was right, because I've always said that the amateur footy is the best thing. I gave the speech years ago. You were, you're too young, you blokes, to know. But at the season launch, I spoke about that exact fact, that people are there because they want to be there. And when I came back in 2010, I wanted to be there. And I felt like it gave me a purpose for a while to actually help out. So I helped out with the footy, then helped out commercially a bit and got involved. And Dick Williams, the president, asked me to get involved. It's led to me being president for a period of time. And, oh, I've loved it. There's so many so many good things. The other thing that I would just mention, Linesy, I'll never forget one day when I was at Richmond, Linesy was involved, and Linesy rang me, and I walked into D-Lar, and Linesy grabbed me, and he, he won't remember this, but he basically just tore shreds off me and, and said, who the hell do you think you are not returning my call? And he was right. You're never too important not to return calls of people that you're friends and, and that you've mm. been involved with. So 
that's why I've always loved, not just do love, but amateur footy for that reason. So I think it's given me a purpose, um, you know, in, in difficult times. And I, and that's where my friends are. And it's where my, you know, I, I remember playing with my brother in the eighties and my five sisters and mum and daddy come and stand out on the hill and watch us. And that was, that's what it's about. It's a, and I don't think amateur footy's changed boys. I really don't. And I don't think community footy's changed either. Nick has it really. I mean, it's, it's like country town. It's amateur footy is the country town of, metropolitan Melbourne from that point of view. Well, I've got a couple of fun facts for you here, Joey, before we continue down that line. I've just had a great deal of fun looking up Brian Walder <laughs> before, before today. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't much good, I told you that. For those who don't know him, he has, and this is going to sound really sappy, but an enormous heart. And for those who do know him, know that. And Nick Daffy, when he was at Richmond, Nick Daffy came down from Mount Gambia. And I know for Nick Daffy, Brian Waldron, let Nick Daffy live with him for his first year what? just so he could acclimatise to Melbourne. Yeah, it's good. That was fun. The other yeah. thing that I found, which I had no idea, and maybe, Joey, you did, but Premier John Brumby appointed Wall an Australian Day ambassador. Correct? I was too, yeah. An yeah, Australia no, Day ambassador. Yeah, well, that <laughs> What was your role that day? Hey, you go around and talk about how proud you were to be an Australian. I was a very one thing I will say. I was bloody unlucky. This this wasn't in the record books, but I kicked ninety nine goals in under nineteen at Delar. I played <laughs> played at full forward in nineteen eighty one, and halfway through the year, I'd kicked about seventy something goals. And Pete Curtis, the president, said, "Go and play in the midfield." So, I kicked ninety nine goals. I kicked four in the last first final against Pauline Temp and end up on ninety nine. How's that? You've been absolutely stitched up and you've had yeah. a, quite a bit to do with it. Um, but you guys at De La Salle, under your watchful eye as El Presidente, you joined with the Papunya Foundation a few years ago. Yeah. Give yeah. Indigenous Jews and Indigenous boys a chance to play footy. Can you just tell us about yeah. some of the great things at the club? The breast cancer game against Trinity is another one. The great things that the club yeah. does off field. Yeah. yeah. And Barry Lyons had a, has had an incredible impact on so many of us. But on me personally, in, in relation to these matters, that you you want it to be a place that is. I mean, footy's important. But to hear Lionsy say that, like no one was as driven about success as anyone as Barry Lyons. But for him to hear him say, you know what, it's important, but it's not the be all and end all. The community is what it's about. So we've taken it sort of in the last six, seven years. You speak about what we've done there with our Indigenous Foundation. That's Paul Cooper who's driven that. He now runs our footy program. He's been heavily involved with Glen Iris and. I have I have laughed internal laughs looking at Coops getting the, the boys from um, far north WA down to in our change rooms and even playing games to their under 19s, which was fantastic. And then of course the other thing that I think we're all incredibly proud of is the women's program. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, we've done a lot of good, but you know we, we do have a void. You know we behind the scenes we're all now going this is great, but we do exist also to win premierships at the same time. So we've done a lot of work to try to, you know, we knew we were going to get a big grow. We've done a lot of work to try to build a future. And we don't have, and we quite often talk, but Dila has something about 140, 150 kids come out of year 12 every year. The Xavier's and St. Kevin's of the world have 270, 280. Yeah. It's not a level playing field. Well, that's okay. It doesn't need to be. Because we also don't have Saturday morning sports. So we can have 319 teams. Mm-hmm. We get the kids from, you know, the, the, the belts of Bentley and those. So, it's all interesting stuff when you work through it. But at the end of the day, it is what drove me back to Dula, the place that, as it says in that book that was written, that you spoke about pride and premierships. For so many people, 
it's their home. It certainly is. Nick, I didn't realise that Brian and I have something in common that we both torn both our knees in the prime of our career and ended prematurely. Uh, one thing Brian did used to mention when he used to come in to do some radio and he crossed paths with Eddie Maher of the front bar, uh, just two words used to come across his desk. He'd say squirrel grip. And uh, yeah. maybe yeah. later in the podcast you can elaborate on that, Brian. No, it was a total accident. <laughs> we, we were both playing in the glory days of seconds footy on a cold day out of Marsland. And he went one way, I went the other. And he had the ball, I think, or he didn't. And I just happened to grab hold of something that happened to be in between his legs. And he squirted like a pig, the big fella. <laughs> He's another one who talks about his 99 goals in a season every time you get a chance. Uh, let's straighten this up a little bit and keep on moving we're about to be joined by David Lowe and the Lowe name is synonymous with the footy club uh, dating back to Mark Smackalow when he wandered down uh, from all reports he's the last premiership captain of A grade that is in 1991 what do you know and what can you tell us about Mark Smackalow well I played with Smacker and I remember uh, he was a fierce fierce competitor but a couple of things about him he was actually president of the club he was our last premiership captain. He was he was also coach of the club for a couple of years in the early mid early two thousands, I reckon. But I have a couple of vivid memories of him. One is in ninety one he actually didn't play in the second semi. He was left out, he'd come back from injury and he had to prove his form in the twos uh before he was able to actually get picked in the grand final and, and play. And I think that was probably the last game he played, but he played really well in the grand final. But my vivid memories are when I played with him in the eighties, he was so fierce. We had a wonderful full forward, people will remember like called Phil Kieran, who was about six foot four. He was probably only about six foot three, but he looked a giant in those days. And he was quite laid back, Phil, and he just needed a little bit of energy to get going sometimes. And when you got him up and going, he went mad and he'd mark everything, kick everything. Well, Smacker was famous for belting him. <laughs> so if there was any, Smacker would belt him in the warm up, there'd be something take place on the ground. Any chance low he got, where if Phil went for Mark in the forward line, he fell to the ground, Smacker would come past and whack him and try to get him up and going. So he was our motivator. We'd say, Smacker, get into Phil, will you? Because Phil was so important to us. He was a wonderful player. But that's how fierce Smacker was. But I know Andrew McIntosh will speak about him later. He was an incredibly proud leader and did everything possible. So that's why it's important the low name came into the whole thing. But, yeah, Smacker's much loved. Uh, Thursday night, <laughs> down having a beer. And the other thing he does now, and this is what makes footy clubs great, boys, he'll time keep. Yep. If there's something to be done, yeah. someone can't do, he's at lunch having a quiet one, and someone will go, we need time. I'll do it. Smacker will go and do it. He might put the white coat on with the umpire <laughs> exploit. He just does. He's that type of person that's synonymous with amateur footy. And he's revered outside of D-Lar as well, which is great. Well, we move from the father to the son, and uh, David Lowe has been good enough to join us on the Club in Focus podcast. Hello, David. Gents, how are we? Oh, very well, thank you, mate. Now, over 150 games with the footy club and the best and fairest winner. For yourself, did it just start because your old man was involved with the footy club? Yeah, so um, old man uh, and my uncle went to Dela, uh, the the high school, and then I think he was playing at Mount Waverley, but they pulled him down to, to Dela to play, and uh, that was sort of the start of uh, my uh, love affair with the club. Myself and my two uh, younger brothers and, and sometimes my sister Used to go down when we were um, uh, very young and, and sort of watch Dad play. 
different sort of climate back then. My dad used to just take us there by uh, by himself and he'd go play and we'd just run around the oval and uh, he'd sort of say, don't go outside the uh, don't go outside the fences and pretty much take care of yourself. He'd uh, he'd give us $2 for a can of Coke and that'd be it. We'd see him sort of four hours later. That was uh, a bit of an insight into, you know, what the club was like back then and, and yeah, you'd probably get a slap on the wrist as a parent for doing that nowadays. But uh, yeah, that was the, the start of my dealer uh, sort of relationship and and it's been um, you know a massive part of my life ever since then. Lowie, you came straight out of school, you were saying straight into seniors, is that right? Yeah, yep. So I was um so I grew up in, in Roval, sort of out of southeast, um, and went to went to the college. Uh, and I was, so I was playing at Scoresby with a lot of mates uh, that I sort of grew up with in 05 it was. Um, so my first year sort of out of high school, uh, yeah, made the switch over to DLR to, to sort of play under dad and and uh, a bit of nepotism, I think. But um, I, I was able to, uh, to get into the team in, in round one and, and uh, didn't... Uh, didn't look back and, and uh, played seniors for sort of you know years after that. It was sort of a good time to, to start, to be honest, because it was it was the start of a, a pretty reasonable period for the club. So uh, yeah, straight in from school there. Well, and this is hard because we didn't win them. But just looking back, I was talking to the boys about the rivalry that took place, and there was some amazing years, weren't they, where we went close, but we just didn't manage to get there. Talk about the rivalry with old Zabs that developed through those years. Yeah, yeah, you know, Zabs were, uh, you know, our number one rivals over that period. They were sort of the, the successful, as, as everyone knows, the successful team um, uh, for a long period of time. And we were sort of a young up-and-coming team. Two big clubs too, two well-supported clubs. And you always got a great crowd. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, when we started being uh, winning a few games, uh, you know, the rivalry really heated up and, uh, there was a couple of absolute belters, you know, in that sort of nine, oh nine, ten, eleven. Unfortunately, the uh, you know the important ones didn't go our way, and we lost uh, the granny by three points, and then a prelim a couple of years later by three points. But you know the games were were great. They had a pretty um, sort of stable team of people that you you know your balls and your Darvels and stuff that you played uh, a lot of footy against too. So that always sort of added to the uh, added to the rivalry. Lowell, and I know you guys eventually did fall short by three points in two thousand and nine. But do you look back and do you think where you guys were situated at three quarter time, like you'd run over Uni Blues the week before, and where you're situated and where you're able to get to? Um, that maybe then you know another couple of minutes you guys would have won, but how proud you are of the guys for getting so close, given the position you were in. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's you know there. On one hand, you might think that you know you, it might make it feel a bit easier getting you know putting in a really good performance in the end and getting close, but if anything, it just makes it hurt a bit more. Um, they'd given us given us a touch up a couple of weeks before, and we sort of made it back, and they just uh, you know played their style of game really well and you know we were a sort of run carry take it on type team and we just couldn't get anything going uh, until the last quarter um, and you know we got a bit of a run on got close but uh, but no cigar and definitely proud of the boys it was you know it was a, it was a young group great group but I uh, I can't say that having a, uh, a good patch in the last quarter and getting close made it any easier. <laughs> so out of that area and, and, and unfortunately because we haven't got Premiership Cup sitting there. We've got plenty of under 19 premierships, but a lot of the players that probably played in that time didn't get, you know, we spoke before to Bernie Dunn about the Groves and the Lions and all those because they played in one. Who were the players 
out of that era that you played with that were the best players you played with? Great. Well, we had, you know, a pretty good midfield back in the day. We had Aaron Shields, obviously, who's uh, dual comp best and fairest, I believe. Uh, we had, you know, sort of Fieldo uh, and myself. But some of the older guys, you know, I think Benny Mannix uh, was, I think, the only guy who played with both my dad uh, and myself. You know, a real <laughs> legend of the competition. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure I don't need to uh, to read out his, uh, his on a roll. But, um, you know, he was still running around and still, you know, awkwardly popping up here and there and kicking goals. Obviously had Ben Curran, Michael Duggan. Going back to that uh, d Zaz rivalry, um, you know, there was that sort of classic game at Waverley where, you know, it was a monster crowd, um, very high-scoring end-to-end game and, and Whispers uh, pops up and kicks eight. And it was a really, really strong team with some with some great players and, and great d people. And uh, unfor- as you said, well, unfortunately, we didn't uh, we didn't loot in any of those years when arguably we should have. But uh, either way, looking back, it was a it was a very very you know strong talented team and and just great great dealer men and and the culture was the culture and uh, enjoyment around the place was 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 awesome. Lowy, you're one of only two players who, when it was named at the time, we've mentioned it quite a few times, and Joey said at the start of your interview, the team of the 60 year anniversary. But you're only one of two current players at the time who was selected in that team alongside Tommy Humphrey. That must have felt pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a nice surprise, actually. I'd, um, so they were doing the sort of team of the decade, which, uh, which I'd hoped I'd, I'd get a gig on there. And then, yeah, it got, a, got sort of thrown, thrown at me uh, on the night. I was, I was super surprised. And, you know, I think that the other one uh, who got um, uh, put in the team, Tom Humphrey, is, you know, I think he got put in after 70 games and 70 of the best games you'll ever see um, uh, 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 ammo player play and, and well-deserved. But massive honour for me. And um, again, going back to how long I've been with the club to to sort of finish up uh, like that is, uh, you know, now that the career's over, looking back on it, it's, it's, a, it's a good feeling, great feeling. And you're staying involved. David, and you're now on the committee, which is important. What? How do you see the future, and what, what do you, what do you look for? Well, how would you like the club to be positioned in the next four or five years? Obviously, we'd like to win a B grade flag first, and then hopefully something in A grade. And what do we need to do as a club to do that? Yeah, yeah. So still involved on the committee, um, uh, sort of looking after footy and and sort of player um, sort of matters. Uh, you know, still still really close to the playing group and and connected uh well with a lot of the uh older blokes who are still there so it's uh it's a it's good to have a player who's recently retired in that role i suppose from an overall club perspective i think that you know what we're looking at is a sustained successful period you know we've uh taken our medicine from a couple of underperforming years going back to b grade and i think the key for us is just to um, you know, around Dave Madigan, who is uh, who was actually coaching back then in '09, and who's a super coach uh, and, a, and a great, great clubman. Just building a um, uh, you know a sustainable uh, list and sort of team, and, and just resetting that sort of you know high performance culture around the club to to assist us with a run back up. And you know, look, we're we're still really hopeful of, of some footy this year, and and you know if we. If we do get to see out a season, uh, you know, we think we're in with a, a reasonable shot uh, 
and you know hopefully that's a, a bit of a um a bit of a catalyst i suppose for for a, for another period of of sort of performance and a sustainable performance and lowy last one from me i just want to throw back to 2009 from an individual perspective um there was actually two two years there 2009 2010 where three DLRSL players won the Woodrow medal. You drew with Fieldsen, Matty Fieldsen in 2009. How nice was it to be able to share that honour with one of your great teammates? Super special. I actually went for a run around uh, Albert Park Lake with him today. So we're both <laughs> uh, still very, very uh, great mates and, and were back then too. So it was, again, uh, uh, you know, those those sort of counts can be pretty unpredictable. And, you know, I think I uh, I, I got on the board with uh, sort of a lot of ones and twos. So, you know, they, they can go either way. And, and having two two people in the one team sharing an award like that was, was absolutely, um, you know, special and, and and again, one of those ones. I was pretty young back then, so you don't really. You just think those sort of things are always going to happen, and then you you get to old blokes like we all are now, and you look back and go, "Oh, geez, I wish I had have uh, appreciated it a little bit more." But yeah, super special, and um, and something we'll uh, we'll both always always remember. Well, David, congratulations on a magnificent. Did you say old blokes like we are now. What you say? Yeah, like we are now. Old blokes That's like right. we are. Like me, Lowy, not you. You don't know. <laughs> Still in your prime, buddy. David, congratulations on all you've achieved with Dela. The low name is etched in the history of the footy club and it will be forevermore. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, gents. Boys, great to be joined by David Lowe, a member of that uh, 60th anniversary best ever team, which I'll read out in a moment. Uh, Brian, before Nick goes through some of the other legends and notes that he's yep. found in the last week or so, you just wanted to mention on the Low family just how big of an influence they've had on the footy club. Oh, well, I played with Smacker, um, and then I've watched David develop and lead the club through um, years of disappointment, as it turns out, because we had such high expectations and standards, and we we didn't achieve what they'd set out to do so often. But we're in good hands with him, and he hasn't stepped back at all. He's done a bit of travelling. Um, but now we've started a families around and it's really important the generations just continue and and, and Gron has also been involved too. and Simon his brother's still playing in our thirds which is fantastic so um, yeah there's just some names you know the Lowe's you know Culligans of the world have been great names throughout the history of the club and uh, I've got incredible admiration for the Lowe's as a family I think most still other people have I hope this doesn't sound like a naive question or a silly question but is your footy club known as a, a bit of a family club like if the father's there does the sons then come and play now that you've got girls the daughters coming back that that fathers who don't don't have sons uh, is it that kind of club a, yet yeah that's a really good question i think probably what's happened though is that the demographics have somewhat changed that there's a lot of people who um whether it be through geography or just the way life is have uh, the school struggled for a while so a lot of people actually chose to send their kids to other schools. We've managed to sort of overcome that in recent times. We get all the do-like kids come, which is important. But we've also been able to get a number of other kids like Jordan Nagel, um, Matty Fieldsen, you know, didn't go to do-la. And we've continued to – the demographics have changed at Salesian, of course. Now, Frankie Pickett and Mick Deverson, two great players, come out of Salesian, but Salesian doesn't have a strong footy program anymore. So if you can, if you go to the old boys, your dad played there, you will come and play with us. If you play footy, that's just how it is, unless you play elsewhere for, at a high level. But um, it's an interesting one. I mean, you go back through those golden eras and a lot of those players did come out of the school. It was just, sometimes you get it. I mean, the blokes I played with in the 80s when we had a lot of success were, were blokes that came out of the school, most of them. So 
you know, there was some recruiting they did of, you know, the likes of Shane Murphy, who was a superstar for the club. And sometimes you need a bit of luck, but, you know, that's what it is. It's the same everywhere. Nico, Brian mentioned Matty Fields and you asked David Lowe about uh, sharing the Woodrow mm-hmm. medal with him. Some of the other storied players that this footy club has you've got in front of you now. Uh, what else have you come across in the last week or so studying the DeLaSalle Footy Club? Well, as Lowy said more recently, Aaron Shields has also won a Woodrow, um, but so has Jakey Williams has won too. Oh, yes, so it's absolutely. just the modern day players. And obviously Tom Humphrey is a player that comes up whenever you talk to any DeLa player, as has been so far in this podcast. And there's quite a few more. Looking back, I'm just looking back through their legends and then a few of the boys have already been named it we've got toby pearson as well bill watts um obviously barry we spoke to him and andrew mcintosh and colin glover tony o'callaghan being another one after 83 games has been named one of their legends but from a big v perspective shane murphy um obviously played at q as well but 101 games at d la Salle, and he was one of the inaugural cohorts of big v legends that was inducted in 2007. So that's along the likes of Jeff Hibbins, Bruce Bourne, Rob Fuller, Jock Nelson, like you think the absolute ultimate ever amateur players. And he was inducted as a Big B legend in that same cohort. And ever since then, as we've said, Mick Deverson and Brian Burke have both been inducted as champions. And in the space of three years, both also won Woodrow medals. So we We, changed the, um, it is worth noting, we changed the legend status um, from being just on-field to being you qualified um, for your off-field activities as well. So Tony O'Callaghan um, and Colin Glover, just to name two, incredible, incredible um, impact. Wayne McDonald, more recently, was, was a premiership player, but his involvement off-field has, has led to him being um, made a, a life member, for example. So we've changed some of the criteria around the place for those awards to reflect what that is. I mean, Jenny Lufton would never have got in as a player, but her, her contribution... Um, as secretary, as an under-17 under coach, people wouldn't be aware of. A couple of players you mentioned there, um, I was fortunate to play with Mick Deverson and, and Michael Green at the same time. Michael Green was an absolute, absolute warrior. Mick Deverson was a, ma- a magnificent player. Both had minor limitations in their game that stopped them playing league footy. But as amateur players, they were just unbel- unbelievable players. Michael Green was tough, fierce, had a tank you wouldn't believe, uh, just an incredible, incredible player. And I watch now, and we, we know we know the you know we know the Mick Green story. We don't need to go into it because it's very sad for Mick and for his family. But you see a lot of Toby and Mick, a hell of a lot of Toby and Mick. Whether it be the rascal or whether it be the fierce competitor, that's what Mick Green was. And um, no one who's involved in amateur footy would have anything but admiration for Mick Green as a player. He couldn't help it, and his battles in the um, with Michael Yo, were famous going back through those days. They're absolutely famous. So there's been some great players. We've just got to build a future where there's some more great players. We might as well go through the full side of the 60th anniversary team yeah. uh, from the back line. Brian Burke, Barry Lyons at fullback, as you mentioned earlier, and Tommy Humphrey, who we've just spoken about uh, in the other back pocket. Uh, he was inducted, Brian, after 65 games in the seniors between 10. 10- 2010 and 2015, and as David Lowe said, he didn't play a bad one in his opening 65. The halfback flanks is Richie Halassa, Michael Deverson, and uh, Dick Hallard. Uh, Dick played in the 1950s, 48 games and a 58 premiership. Uh, Aaron Shields, the centre-line, Murray Murphy, and Andrew McIntosh, who's about to join us. He's your game's record holder, Brian, listed in this team. So Murray Murphy's... Um 
Bob Murphy's Bob uncle. Murphy. 44 games in the centre, 1955 yeah. Premiership player. Passed away, I think he passed away last year, but was terrific, terrific player, Murray Murphy. Had to be to get in that team at that you know, with 44 games. Yeah, at half forward, uh, Tim Cook, who played in the uh, late 70s through the 80s. Uh, Shane Murphy, also through the 80s. Ralph McHenry, he won uh, five flags, 77, 79, 80, 83 and 84. Uh, and then the forward line of Benny Mannix, Pat Mannix and David Lowe. Those other rucks we mentioned, Michael Green, Michael Nugent's the ruck rover, Peter Giles is the rover, and you've got a six-man interchange bench, Paddy Ma, Bill Watts, Peter Rennie, Toby Pearson, Bernie Dunn, who we spoke to earlier, and Alan Groves uh, with Barry Lyons, your mm. captain, Dick Hallard, and the man we're about to speak to, Andrew McIntosh, is the vice-captain. He's hanging on the line, he's listening to all this, and he joins us now. Hello, Andrew. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Brian told us a little bit earlier on, game's record holder, and as far as he's aware, despite the coronavirus, you're still pulling the boots on. Is that fact? Look, I, I, I was planning maybe to play a few games this year with uh, with our Masters team, but uh, some would say unfortunately, but I, I think maybe fortunately the season's <laughs> been uh, uh, cancelled, so uh, I, I'm not sure... Uh, uh, isolation uh, was treating me all that well, so I don't, I don't think I might have been able to get out there anyway, if, even if we had got a season up and running. So, Andrew, we just went through the best team of the 60 years for De La Salle, released back in 1924. You're named on the wing. Uh, it's also got you listed as vice-captain, which I'm sure is a great honour for yourself, but at the time of this team, it was 223 games, the senior games. How many games do you reckon you'd be on now? <laughs> Well, the thing is, if you if you keep playing, you know, eventually you'll get to 300. So uh, myself and a couple of other fellas uh, who I played at Dilar with, uh, Peter Harrison and Ben Corran, we we jointly played our 300th game, uh, so 900 in total against uh, the St Kevin's Masters team uh, in July last year. So I'm on about 305 or 306, I think. Maka, what's the best one? Which was the best flag? Hard to go past 91, uh, A-grade. That, that, that was my only A-grade flag. The other two were B-grade flags. As a young sort of 21-year-old uh, playing under Bernie Dunn um, against North Old Boys, that was a, um, a, a pretty special one. Now, tell us what it was like playing under Bernie. Uh, look, I, uh, I mean, I, I guess some coaches, you uh, suit your style more than others. And, and certainly the, the, the game style that Bernie had sort of suited my sort of uh, playing style, although, you know, there was a period of time where he decided that the wing wasn't really for me and uh, started playing me full back, uh, which which I didn't really enjoy that, that much. Um, but, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I went to full back for a couple of years. He, he said they were struggling with some height down the back line. And at six foot one, I, I wasn't adding to it much, uh, I don't think, but... Uh, it probably, to be fair, prolonged my career a bit, um, uh, a little bit less arduous down the back line. Some would say, you know, I, I didn't bother picking up men all that often, so uh, um, uh, I, I didn't mind, really. Yeah, all said and done, but playing the back line. But I just want to get to the culture of the place a little bit. What, and I, I said earlier that you, you, Sue Ellen's now involved, his sister is vice president. Dad's, uh, well, he's just a stable, stable of the place, isn't he? He's there every weekend with his mates at the lunch. The family's been so heavily involved. What is it about the club that has you still doing what you're doing, apart from your love of footy itself? Yeah, look, I think it's probably the same for everyone. But, uh, um, you know, 
footy's a t- terrific uh, draw card, but it's the people. Uh, you know, I, I've always marvelled, and, and I'm sure it's uh, similar at, at other clubs. The people that you meet, even even playing in the Masters footy, the the, the new guys that I've met uh, who, who I wouldn't otherwise ever got a chance to play footy with who are maybe outside of uh, the amateur sort of fraternity, um, you know, they're sort of uh, lifelong relationships that they build and uh, the camaraderie that uh, that you get out of, you know, training and playing and having some success and uh, having a few beers afterwards uh, has always been the sort of strongest draw card for me. Andrew, we've asked every guest we've had so far and you've clearly been there in a playing capacity for the longest amount of time, 32 years it would have been this year, which is simply amazing. Well, who are the type of players, or who are the players, I suppose, from the last 30 years that stand out to you during your time there? Well, there's a few good ones. Uh, I mean, obviously, during that uh, Bernie Dunn period with uh, uh, playing in three A-grade grand finals in a row, we, you know, we had some very talented players. The Mannix boys are, are always going to be in the conversation. Uh, you know, I played with four of them. Um, there's a couple of pretty handy ones, Ben and, and, and uh, his brother, Pat. Uh, you know, our captain back in 91, uh, Mark Smackalow, taught us a lot about uh, playing footy the d sort of way. And, of course, um, you know, I, I got the very tail end of Mick Green's sort of uh, uh, legendary career at d um, So it was inspiring to sort of to see a guy who'd been around and played in so many A-grade flags and uh, uh, still trying his heart out even... Uh, you know, at, at the very end of his career. So, um, look, there's been some good ones. Brett Marnie was a was a star. We we only saw him for a couple of years, and I've got uh, you know great memories of um, that '91 flag and that team that we played. Some great young talent we had coming through, but also some uh, some super more experienced players like Pete Rennie and uh, Andrew Ronke, and there's some there's some terrific names that uh, come flooding back. Now, I do need to ask you, last one from me here, Andrew, I do need to ask you, you've crossed that first barrier being 300. What are our chances of hitting the 400 <laughs> and blowing us out of the water? In a wheelchair. <laughs> Absolutely no chance at all. Yeah, no. It's, uh, it's, it's all starting to fall apart for me, unfortunately. So, uh, But look, uh, I'm... Um, I'm blessed to have a terrific run so I, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, in any way uh, um, upset about that it's, uh, uh, it's one of those things but uh, I've, I've been very lucky you know injury wise and uh, um, the body sort of held up reasonably well but uh, I think it's probably time that we uh, hang them up. <laughs> it's never over Andrew never over we appreciate uh, you joining yeah. us on the Club in Focus podcast congratulations on 32 years of playing that is older than Nick and I have lived on this planet and you've done it all at the Sale Footy Club it's been a magnificent career mate thanks for joining us and uh, good luck in 2020 if we do get some footy back alright terrific thanks guys This is the Club in Focus podcast. We're taking a look at all things DLSL, and it is with great pleasure we are joined by the current president who took over from Brian Waldron, doing a much better job than he ever did, Matty O'Callaghan. Hello, Matty. G'day, Joey. 
Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, now, before I do ask you about your own presidency reign and, and everything that's going on in the current day, I want to look back because the name Tony O'Callaghan stands out. He is a club legend. Of course, he is your father, your dad's influence on the footy club, and was he just the reason that you got involved as well? Oh, absolutely. We, we, were, um, we were going down to watch Steel Arcel play uh, since we were little kids, Joey, and you know, with my two brothers and my sister and, and a few other families, so... It resonates back uh, probably to the mid-70s when I was kind of just a little boy. Dad was probably involved with the club for probably closer to um, 40 or 50 years, I reckon. From when it was founded, he was one of the founders in 1955. And what's your earliest or most vivid memory of those days when you were coming down as a young fella? Uh, Not too many when I was really young, but certainly when I got up to maybe, um, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, uh, I certainly remember A-grade flags and Vila back in those days, was such a, a successful team. We won our first A-grade flag in 1977, so I would have been about eight years old. And, you know, that certainly set up, set up a culture for um, many, many years to come. Mocha, I obviously remember your dad really well, doing a lot of the stuff you do now. But uh, one thing I think probably gets lost is the, the Bert Healy Pavilion uh, came about through the good work of dad, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And, and I don't remember a lot about it, but... Um, Back in the day, back in the I think the mid seventies, it was um, it was a state of the art facility, and for all the amateur people out there um, who look at it now and think oh, it needs to be pulled down, well, it, it was certainly state of the art in its day. So your own playing career, one thing people wouldn't know, um, the three brothers played together. I think you played together. So it was Pat O'Kelling and it was Poc, it was Jock, and it was Mocker. So how many games did you play together, and what years were they? Yeah, there wouldn't have been too many. I don't think we played a senior game. In fact, I'm sure we didn't play a senior game together. While the three of us played in a twos grand final um, back in about 1990. So, what about now, mate? How are we going? Look, I think uh, <clears throat> I think we're going all right. We, we just need to get out on the park, don't we? I think the players are getting a bit tired of of training and um, and no real outcome yet. So. Hopefully we can get through the next couple of weeks and get a firm date and really, you know, get tuned into starting to play the game and starting to play, you know, a competitive game again. We've recruited pretty well over the last six or eight months. We've hopefully picked up one or two in the last few weeks um, we're coming back to the club. So we think we're in a good position, but we won't know until we start playing games and producing it on the field because that's where you need to to produce it, isn't it? Matt, I do want to ask you about your off-season. Obviously, everything's been thrown into disarray, but it was a very, very successful off-season for you guys with quite a few of the boys coming back. Who's been standing out to you, I suppose, who did stand out to you over the off-season and during this period is um, keeping the boys up and about while everyone's training from home? Yeah, look, it's it's pretty hard to go past Josh Smith just in terms of um, coming straight out of the AFL the standard he sets on on the training track, and he's uh, certainly warm to the to his his new teammates. And we've got a few. I think there's another couple of teachers from the school, maybe a few, who um who are forming a bit of a, a good close group, um, which is very important because you can't just bring players in um, and not have them part of the team. So we think he's going pretty well. Tom Chalkley's training well since the cricket season finished. Needs a bit of fitness, I, I think, and um. Uh, some of the old-timers are uh, certainly training the house down as well. It would have been such a buzz, and there was such a buzz 
around D-Lar. Do you still, I know you can't have it to the same degree, but you still have that going forward to 2021 with the same recruits and potentially the same team that was going to run out there this year? Other than doing well in 2020, I don't think we've really put our sights on what we can do in 2021. Um, the focus, you know, and, and D-Lar is such a, a proud amateur club, the, the focus has just been on what do we need to do to get ourselves back up into A grade as soon as we can, and and you know that's that's pretty much immediately. If um if we don't get to play this year, then that that objective just moves to next year. Locker, I, I just want to mention your mum, and I think the involvement of women in the footy club, and um you know we, we've spoken a lot about the history because the history was male, but throughout all that period we've had a strong women's involvement, the Joy Bolts of the world, haven't we, and Sophie Elliott, but your mum's been a mainstay, hasn't she, even up to last year coming along and watching? Oh, she absolutely has, well, and, and I'm glad you brought her up because she, she uh, during the isolation period, she's been going through some old memorabilia and she found a letter, or uh, sorry, a speech that she gave at one of Dad's award nights and she spoke about her involvement and, and at the time her, her proudest moment was seeing her eldest son play his first game during that year. She was looking after little kids and allowing Dad to, to do what he was doing down at the footy club and giving him the freedom to do so. And I think I think she's one of many, many, many women who, who were playing that unsung hero back in, in those days. And and of course now now that we've got um we've got a women's team, we've got a um, masters women's team and so that part of the club Still needs a lot of growth, but but we're we're moving ahead. Maddie, uh, I know Brian and I have a lot of fun with the fact that your girls' side, as you just mentioned, they're in the same division as as the St Bernard's girls' side on on the normal weekly podcast. But <laughs> from your perspective as the current president, uh, how important is it during this time to keep the girls involved as well as the men's side of things? But from the girls who are almost new to football, I know they've been around for a couple of years. Just the importance on keeping them engaged through this time. Oh, it's super important, isn't it? it? It's super important for all of the players, whether they're they're men, women, under 19s, under 18s. I think just just for the um for the sanity and and keeping their their mental health you know well and good and and on a steady path. The women have been doing some great work. They um I think one of the highlights of the ISO period for me was uh, when they first started something called Trick Shot Tuesday. So they'd all put some videos up of them doing tricks trick shots to goal down at the local park and it was just um it was hysterical it's fantastic and and the spirit amongst them is um is terrific and one other thing local footy clubs or in, in particularly ammo's need to survive is sponsorships and and getting local businesses on board from a dealer perspective have you had any trouble at all in keeping your partners or are they just been ready to help wherever they can through this time yeah look they've been ready to help um, you know, to whatever degree they can. Obviously, there's there's pain out there in the corporate community as well as um as well as uh, individuals. So they've they've certainly helped out where they can and to to whatever extent. I think once we get some certainty around being able to play again, you know, if that turns out to be a nine game season, then then we can start to plan some activities to to further engage with our sponsors and 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 bring some value to them. Now, Maddie, we do talk about this quite often during the weekly podcast, but given this is the DLR Sale Focus Club in Focus podcast, I need to ask you just how bloody good is your afternoon tea? <laughs> well, I, sometimes I, I feel like I'm exaggerating when I tell people we've got the best 
afternoon tea in the amateurs, but it comes from external sources, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly it is the in, best in, afternoon in fact, tea in the comp, Matty. In fact, there was a there was a certain lad who said to me last year that that it's motivation to play in the twos when you can get stuck in the afternoon tea for five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that certain lad is not incorrect by any stretch. It is the best five dollars you will spend in the competition. Hey, Mark, I got one question for you. Remember, yeah. remember when I was president? And I oh, it's not about you. Lunch. Hold on, <laughs> I'll tell you something, Mark. Remember when I was president? I stood up the lunch and I made everyone. I made all the pre- former presidents in the room stand up and gave them a round of applause because I realised how much worth the Labour of Love was being president. You yeah. I was right? No, you are yeah, 100% right, <laughs> right, in fact, In fact, I said to someone last year that every time you, you look in the eyes of one of the ex-presidents, um, you, you're sharing a, an unsaid um, story about what you've been through as president. <laughs> Matty, why did you take uh, over from Brian in terms of did you want to do the job when Brian decided that it was time was to move on or did Brian oh, force look, you to do it and say, this is it, I, Matty? Uh, well, well the, the old man was still alive then and I don't think I could have looked him in the eye and told him I'd turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of pressure. No, it was. I'd, I'd been involved with the under-19s for three or four years um, as my boys were coming through. And, and so it just it felt natural and, you know, it's, it's certainly a bit of a step up and, and you guys joke about it, but, you know, Brian certainly got big shoes to fill and, um, and I think we've, we've spread the load a little bit, um, brought some new people onto the committee, some fresh blood and, um, you know, hopefully we can um, get some success in many ways for the club. Well, I'm not sure any of us, certainly I haven't, and I don't think there's anyone before me that faced the type of challenges you've faced as president at the moment, mate. So all I can say to you, mate, is your father be proud because um, it's been a really challenging period for everyone involved with every footy club. So well done. Uh, We're in good hands and we all appreciate what you're doing. And I think the fact that you took the reins up um, and you're right about your father. I mean, to be able to do that, uh, I'd love my boy one day to be able to president of, of D-Live Footy Club. Not that he ever will because he plays at old Zab, <laughs> but it makes sense, doesn't it, that you did it. And he would be looking down very proud of how you're leading us through this time. And it's been a great podcast and a credit to you that you got it together with the boys. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Matty. Very much appreciated, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Nick. It's been a massive, massive Club in Focus podcast, Nico. I don't think we've had a bigger one. You and I have sat through a few of them. We've decided to invite our old mate on for this one because he was whinging in the corner. He wanted to come on and speak. We've let him loose and oh, he's kept us for two uh, hours. I'll just say this. I'll just say this. It's, it's better better for the involvement that we've all had to share the wonderful memories of last year's podcast. And I can't wait to do it again this year if we ever get to it. Of course, we need a pay rise, Nick. Well, I've been every week after doing one of these podcasts, every week I tell Joey, I say, I'm whinging. I say, mate, it can't go over 60 minutes. I reckon you'd be lucky to keep this under 120 at this stage. But it's been absolutely fantastic. Everyone's had their own story, and I've really loved getting to know more about your club. While I'll be honest with you, it's been great. Yeah, and I can tell you that the, even the other clubs have been talking about these terrific things you've done. So well done, well done to you, Nick. I know in... Um in quiet times and, and doing what you're doing and Joey for putting it on. So on behalf of everyone at Delight, we thank you for giving our club the opportunity to talk about the halcyon days in the future. And um, we look forward to getting back on the park 
for all those 10 teams we've got, hopefully sometime in the near future. Yeah, couldn't have said it better ourselves. And we thank our proud partners, Mequacare, who look after us. They've been around since 1959. They're coming through this tough time with us as the major partner of the Club in Focus podcast. Nico, as always... We finish by telling every other club to get in touch with you if they want their club in shining lights through the VAFA website, Facebook, or on Twitter. And just as we do leave, uh, this is the most recent one we've done, so it'd be remiss of us just to quickly finish by saying that in a couple of weeks' time, we may well have a decision on whether we do have a season or not. Yeah, correct. So July 6th has been um, the date where the AFL returned to contact trading protocols and all that sort of thing from the state government will also come out. So July 6th or thereabouts will be the decision when the VAFA board decide whether we will be going ahead in 2020 or whether we'll be hanging them up and looking ahead to a massive 2021. Thank you, Brian, for joining us on the Club in Focus podcast. Been a pleasure to see you again. And thank you very much, Nico, the voice, the (laughs) face of the Amos. Even when we're talking about your own club, you're still bored out of your brains and don't want to be here. It's magnificent. <laughs> no, we I've love enjoyed it. thoroughly. <laughs> I love my club. I love my people. Too. They're great. Take Keep care. Getting, you know, and we look forward to doing it all boys. again very soon. Yeah.